This is a podcast where I talk to people about the things they're obsessed with. My name is Marcus Privet, and this is my obsession. Sitting outside, Salem, Massachusetts, gorgeous day, mm. and I'm here with Linda Kersey. Kersey as in Jersey. <laughs> yes, <right>. that's, that's <laughs> right. We uh, we have a friend in common. Well, your friend, my friend, is your biological offspring. That's true. <laughs> that's my right. oldest daughter. Yeah, yeah. And a couple months ago, when was Katie's play Aladdin? Actually, I think it was the fall. It was the fall. Yeah. We were walking out, and this podcast came up, and. Did you suggest wanting to be on, or did I no. ask you? No, heavens no. Okay, okay. I have, I have no pre- <laughs> presumption that I have anything to uh, offer in this conversation. Okay, <laughs> somehow I left with that night <laughs> thinking I really got to ask her to be on it. Mm-hmm. And here we are, and we were just talking a second ago how you and I have kind of passed each other as ships in the night, but now yes. we're actually sitting down and we're about to have a conversation. It's very fun. And here we are. I think it's a real gift. Mm. Um, your obsession that <laughs> you're bringing on well, you know, that was hard for me, and so you helped me to kind of, like, solidify it. It truly is the way I want to live, and I hope I live, and that's living enthusiastically. Living enthusiastically yes. with Linda Kersey. <laughs> that's the title of this episode. <laughs> Just give us, a, like, a, an idea of what that means to you, where that idea came from, mm-hmm. personal history with that. So many people live life for one reason or another in a way that's not fully, and because I, I truly believe that. Our lives are intended to be lived fully with purpose Mm -hmm. and intention and joy and wonder and, yeah, I just think it's really important. So for me to live enthusiastically means to live fully. Was there ever a a point in your life where you feel like you weren't doing that? Can you you look back and contrast your now, now with then? No, probably not. Okay. I mean, just this last week, I was, I'm 63. I was really tired and I thought, oh my gosh, I kind of know what it would be like to feel like. Maybe I don't want to give it quite as much today, yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah. but I quickly bypassed that feeling because I was so uncomfortable with it and I thought, oh, I just can't even lean into that. But no, I think it's probably always been my personality. I mean, maybe in, you know, maybe in grade school, high school, when you're struggling with peer pressure and cliques and things like that, you know, your joy is stolen from those circumstances. Mm-hmm. But no, overall, I think I've always been the kind of person that just wanted to live completely. And I don't think that anybody would really disagree with you right. on that. But what does that actually look like for you mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis? And do you do something different intentionally because you want to live that way? I wonder sometimes, and you know, I think it's hard for many of us to assume that somehow we are somehow responsible for the spirit in which we live only because sometimes we just think it's our personality or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I do think I intentionally am grateful. And I think a spirit of gratefulness really leads us to a place of joy, which then transcends to other situations, you know, and it just makes you aware of opportunities that you have or things that are happening in front of you. And I have the privilege of being a school teacher, you know, grade five. And to me, those 10 and 11 year olds are just like the best thing ever. Yeah. How long have you done that? 
Um, I think I'm in my 19th year, but oh I've, I've taught for almost 40. What's the memorable teaching story that really keeps you oh going? Oh my gosh, I have so many. Uh, I mean, just this year. I mean, uh-huh. I can start with this year. I had a student come in who didn't see himself as a reader, very little self-confidence, and um, has now read 32 books and wrote an essay about how he came in not a reader and what it's like, what it was like then comparing himself to everybody else and now to be s- such an avid reader. You know, I don't need bigger stories than that. Hmm. Or moments when I love teaching writing, when I'm teaching writing and the magic happens in the classroom because I always model a lesson and it's always a free write, a free poem. I don't, I do very little rhyming poetry. So it's much more of a free write, something from the kids' hearts. I'll give them a model lesson, give them a word to work from, and oh my gosh, they're so amazing. And um, to sense the magic in the room as they share out and they feel validated themselves. I I, I don't need more than that to give Mm -hmm. me joy because those are those moments as a teacher that you just think, you just can't get any better than that. I feel like so much of the dialogue that I receive is in order to do something great, you have to change the world. Yeah. Right. And right. it's this almost impossible task to achieve because what does changing the world even mean at the end of the day? I love the phrase you just used of this is the only goal that I need. Oh, my gosh. To be in a classroom with 22 kids who all along with you sense right. the magic. Right. And they do. And it changes them. It does not get better than that hmm. because then they take that home. And then that affects others. I mean, this, you know, I mean, we've all heard of the butterfly effect, you know. Right. I have an opportunity to work with a lot of butterflies. Right. You know, and I don't I don't need to know how it changes the world or it puts things into motion. I just know that I am a vehicle in which that can happen. That makes me extremely grateful. So, you know, for me at this at my age, as I look ahead to retirement, I think there's always this sense of loss. But Lost with retirement specifically? Yeah, because I'll lose that contact with those kids. And so how then will I still maintain this joy and opportunity to just share those moments with people? Mm -hmm. I think that's what living enthusiastically is too. Recognizing that to share moments with people is amazing, whether Mm -hmm. it's your kids or your students or your peers or just your husband, and I don't mean just as in the word just, you know, <laughs> right, I, right, right. it's whoever you're sharing it with, the idea that something wonderful is happening or even something difficult, the idea that it's shared really is fantastic. It doesn't even have to be your moment. Right? No, like, oh my gosh. Especially not. Are you kidding? Right. I mean, like I was the observer of my two girls in a theatrical situation today at a production and... That must have been incredible. It was great, you know, yeah. seeing them both and you know but I have the same experience then as I do when my son at 35 is running a race and I am the same mom I was when he was 16 running a race (laughs) you know and I'm yelling to everybody on the sideline that's my son and he's 35 years old yeah you know or my (laughs) grandchildren or you know the wonder of my four-year-old granddaughter coming in and running to me you Mm -hmm. know it's yeah it just never ever wanes i think that's the thing you know when you recognize those moments are so significant you don't need anything bigger Hmm. because those are big they are big they are big Hmm. yeah 
retirement's on the horizon. You mentioned that a few minutes ago. Four years. You know, everyone tells me it's going to go really fast. In four years? In four years. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. You're you're coming up. I'm coming up. If you had to, uh, (laughs) how are you feeling about it, first of all? Well, there are days that I'm so tired that I think, wow, that sounds good. But then, like I said, it comes with a fear of, oh, my gosh, I don't want to lean into that. I don't want to give into that tiredness. I want to... I want to live as fully then as I am now. When I turned, when I was turning 60, um, I was really struggling. My parents had both died of lung cancer in their early 30s, 60s, excuse me, in their early 60s. I was turning 60, and I just felt like the next 10 years were a big question mark. And like I that knew was, was like gonna, a moment for you, is getting to that age. It was, and right. I was. I knew that my parents had died, and. I was, re- I was re- facing retirement in the next 10 years and a financial change in our lives. And my husband, who's a minister, was going to be retiring from the ministry as well. And I, I was just overcome with the idea of change and fear that somehow I wasn't going to finish strong. My husband read a book years ago, and that was the title of it, Finishing Strong. And we both decided back then that on his epitaph, on his tombstone, was going yeah. to be finished strong. Finish strong. And I was just really concerned that somehow that wasn't going to happen. My son took me away on a trip, a wilderness trip, for three days. And Where did you go? The White Mountains. We lived out in the woods. Oh, my god! Yes, I know. And I climbed Mount Washington. And you did that when you were 60? Yes. I was a week wow. old, a week after 60. Okay. He took me. It was a mystery ride. He The night before we left, he gave me a what I needed to bring list. And we ended up at the White Mountains eventually. And... We went for a three-day wilderness trip, and I had many firsts. I climbed Mount Washington okay. in 70 mile an hour winds. Did you get one of those bumper stickers? <laughs> no, but he did get me a okay. uh, he did get me a t-shirt and a magnet okay. to prove that we had done it. That's and right. he also took a picture of me by the marker on top. Love. Because he's a journalist, he had interviewed me, and he asked me what I was afraid of, and he asked me, "Why does it bother you, Mom, to be turning 60?" And I said, "I'm just so afraid that somehow I or." For some reason, I'm not going to be able to live fully or completely. There was like a mental block. Well, there, or, or a fear. It was just a fear, a fear so that somehow I was going to get tired, or somehow I was going to fail. I think, as a teacher, particularly, I didn't want to spend my last couple of years just doing it to get through it, and I wanted to do the last day as completely as I did the first day. And I'm not really, I really, truly, I'm not saying that. I want to be as completely in love with teaching and with my students that last year, that last week, as I am now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somehow I was afraid somehow turning 60 was going to change that, that somehow I was became at the at-risk category because I think that is right. what we see, right? right? We see so many people who just hold on till retirement. I knew that didn't settle well with me. I felt a sense of disappointment in the possibility of that happening. I don't feel that so much anymore. Now I'm 63, you know, yep. it's three years later. Was it an instant translation? You, you had this epic moment on the White Mountains and decided, you know what, I'm going to keep going. Or do you feel like it's been gradual over the course yeah, of Yeah, you know, years? I mean, six months after my 60th birthday, I was diagnosed with lung cancer, just like my parents. Oh, my gosh. And That's the representation of your fear. Yes. Yeah. I remember, though, going through it all. My, our kids were wonderful. My husband was fantastic, of course. I remember going to the hospital realizing almost kind of like an out-of-body experience that I was actually approaching it the same way that for some reason I approached everything. I was all right. I was engaging with the nurses. I was full of energy when I went into surgery. And when I came out, 
I was fine. I didn't feel any less of a person. Mm. Um, I was in the hospital for a week coming home. I was grateful like I had always been for every moment I was sharing with people. I was back at work five weeks later. Mm -hmm. Um, My daughter had her second child in that time period. You know, I realized nothing changes. I realized that cancer doesn't do it. Turning 60 didn't do it. I am who I am. That's not because I have a corner on happiness or anything like that, but I truly am grateful. I think that's a biblical way to live. I think it's the key to everything, that if we live with a thankful heart, a grateful heart, hmm. we can get through those moments that are hard, and I've certainly had them. We were in a, our first pastorate. It was very, very difficult. Losing both my parents young, it was very, very How difficult. How old were you? Well, with my mom, I was 40, and with my dad, I was 43. That felt young. Yeah. Even my parents, they taught me what it was to live with joy right till then. Hmm. You know, I had good models for gratefulness, and I think because I desire to live biblically, gratefulness also comes through that. But, you know, I remember years and years and years ago, someone saying to me, well, Lynn, it's easy for you. Nothing's been hard for you. Yeah. And that's obviously not true. I mean, we moved, I think, eight times in one year of our marriage because we were in the middle of school and ministry, and we didn't want to commit to a, an agreement for rental. And so eight times with with three children, and there was nothing easy about that. And then again, being in a ministry that was very difficult and very hard to leave. And just in ministry alone, sometimes ministry can be hard. Right. Um, unless you're in ministry, you don't understand what it is when people choose to leave a church. As a pastor's wife, it was something I never wanted to be. You never wanted to be a pastor's wife? I would be anything but a pastor's wife. <laughs> I, love I would that. I wanted yeah. to be a missionary in Africa over yeah. Okay. Yes, over being a pastor's wife. What did a pastor's wife represent to you that you didn't want well, to? Well, growing up, my pastor's wife always played the piano or the organ. Okay. And, and I don't. I tried. I tried taking lessons, but it didn't work while you were out okay. with me. The one pastor's wife that really <laughs> comes like to mind. That's like the first test on a pastor's wife test. Yes, like, do you play piano? Do you right? play piano? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I remember her sitting at the organ, this one pastor's wife, counting everybody who was at church and thinking, oh, my gosh. And she was really strict. That's my picture of who a pastor's wife was. I see. I just didn't want to be in that place of isolation. Because so much of my life has a desire to be shared, just because that's who I am, yeah. that the idea of living in this fishbowl and having to meet up with all these ex- uh, expectations so awful to me. It sounded so awful to me. Yeah. In my husband and I's devotions just this morning, um, we read a quote that said, um, in trust, there is no fear. So if I'm really going to say that I trust the Lord completely, right. then I'm going to trust him for all those other things, whether it's my kids growing up as pastor's kids, my mom getting cancer. She was the dearest, most wonderful, full of life, want to live life person Hmm. to having cancer and turning 60 myself or whatever. When you trust, when you're able to trust someone bigger than yourself, the Lord, then somehow it's okay and good and easier to be thankful. Hmm. To bring it back to my teaching, I know I am there for a purpose. I know I when I get my class list in June, I pray for my kids all summer. Now, those kids don't ever need to know that, and those parents don't need to know that. But by the time I meet them in September, I know them in my heart. I know their names. I know how to spell them because hmm. I've been reading it off on my little prayer right. list. 
I know that they are in my class for a purpose and I am going to be somehow used in their lives. That helps me to recognize that each one has a gift to share. But I think more specifically, at least initially in the year, when those kiddos come in with behavioral issues, Mm -hmm. I know somehow, even though it's like I'm just like questioning, how could I possibly make a difference in this child's life? That because God has so ordained that child to be in my life, Hmm. it's going to be all right. And it always is. It's like incredible. It always is. And in the end, we are all, my kids and I both are all so glad that we had that time together. Hmm. I mean, there's always tears the last day of school. Really? Hmm. It's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. 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 And for you, that is part of living enthusiastic. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I have a student this year who struggles terribly with academics. Just school being not a thing? Well, just because it's hard. You know, it's just hard for many reasons for him. Because I love poetry and I teach poetry enthusiastically. Right. Um, he, he has gravitated to it because he doesn't have to write complete paragraphs. He doesn't have to use punctuation. And he has been honored with two awards this year for writing oh my poetry. Gosh. You know, I just, teaching is so multifaceted. There are so many parts of teaching that unless you're there, you don't recognize that. The first 10 minutes of school, I must have 15 kids talking to me at one point or another about what they did the night before, the score in their game, (laughs) that they didn't do homework, what page they're on, the Harry Potter book that they're reading and what part they cannot believe in. I mean, everything else, along with taking attendance and taking the hot lunch cow and the whole shebang, right? right? I have so many opportunities to have these moments with my kids. That I think that's part of the fear of retiring. Like, how, what can possibly... What's going to replace those 10 minutes? Measure that. Yeah. And because um, Steve and I, my husband and I, we enjoy Saturday and Sunday. Or San- Sunday, not so much because it's a pretty busy morning for us. But we we literally live our entire week for Saturday morning. <laughs> Same. Yes. I love Saturday Oh, morning. my gosh. And we love to sleep in. You know, honestly, we still love to cuddle after 40 years of marriage. We just love, love that Saturday morning. Yep. Waking up, looking at each other's eyes, thinking, do we really want to get up yet? And just enjoying being together. We sit next to each other every Saturday morning for breakfast. And it's a routine. You know, he has the same thing every single Saturday morning with our cup of coffee. He always makes my coffee. I always make his breakfast. We sit down. We have our divorce together. To me, there's no less passion mm-hmm. in that or enthusiasm in that as there is in anything else. But that's one moment on a Saturday morning. That's right. So how I look at retirement, I know we're going to have to take a pause from ministry in some respects because we're tired. And, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, even in saying that, that creates fear. Yeah. Because life is no less important. And I know I'll have grandchildren that I'm going to want to visit. To live enthusiastically means to be very aware of the future as well. For me to live enthusiastically makes me realize that right now my oldest grandchild is 10 years old. And by the time I retire, she'll be 14. Mm -hmm. And if I am not working enthusiastically right now to invest in that life and to ask her the right questions and to show her that I care, then at 14 when I'm finally retired and have the time to do it, it won't matter. Hmm. So it's not missing these moments now that are building into the future. That's really what living enthusiastically is. Yeah, what I'm hearing you saying is it's less about present living enthusiastically and like being happy-go-lucky and joyful all the oh, time, right? Absolutely. It's not that. No. It's 
developing a an appetite for that which is sacred to be able to spot in the moment like this is a moment that I need to bookmark in my life yes this is this is important I need to be here yes be present oh yeah and you know there are certain things that help you that like I my son Stephen he really loves and and really needs those and he may not say need but it's important to him right to have those moments of complete attention to listen okay to fully listen Right. So to have a conversation with him, it's really important to fully listen. That's been a good exercise for me all my life with Stephen. He's 35. Okay. He's always wanted that. And I think little things like that help us to remember what's important. To recognize that just to be fully present for someone is living enthusiastically. That's right. It is so true. It is so not being happy-go-lucky. It is living with intention, living with the idea that moments count. Decisions matter. Well said, Marcus. That's exactly how it is. If you had to speak to you four years from now, mm. post-retirement, mm. What, are you, what are you saying now? Who you are isn't going to change. I think I learned that since I was 60, that turning 63, you know, I realize I, I'm really no less. If anything, I'm, I have less fear. Okay. And maybe keep your eyes open. I don't hear people speak about 60s as the life-giving decade. And you're doing it a lot right now. Yeah. That's kind of cool. So I'm 26 now, so yeah. a ways from 60, but I'm like dreading 30. Yeah, 30 is like the one that you're you prepare for a personal life crisis because yeah. it's gonna come. But the aging is almost given to me as degradation a lot of times. And here you are propping up your 60s. That sounds yeah. like a lot's happened. Well, a lot right? has happened, and um, I think it's it's no less wonderful. Yeah, you know the whole <laughs> right, idea. Right, you know, right. I mean, yeah. As far as I'm all of a sudden how I'm looking ahead and there's going to be changes and yeah no I yeah it's no less exciting or full of fun you know I mean my goodness when I retire we're going to celebrate where I'm taking the kids to Disney World you know I mean like you know it's all that but also you know I don't want it to end there for me it was turning 40 I realized that when I turned 40 when I turned 40 it was very difficult for me just like turning 60 but there was some really legitimate reasons at least from my perspective I knew from the time I was 40 to 50, all three of my kids were going to leave home. They were all going to have gone to college and started to live independently. My mom at that point had already been diagnosed with terminal cancer. I knew I was going to lose my mom. My dad being a full-blown two-pack-a-day smoker, he wasn't necessarily in great health. I knew that the next 10 years were going to be full of loss in one way or another. Right. So it frightened me. It made me sad because I am such a relational person. And the idea of living a life fully without those key people in my daily life, it seemed like impossible. I think people will understand this when I say, I also wanted to be very present for all of those losses. When my Christy Lynn was going off to school and getting married, I saw those things in the future, regardless of when they were gonna happen, I wanted to be very present for her and not be selfish. Stevie, Kimmy, the same thing. Um, Knowing my mom was facing a terminal illness, I wanted to be completely present for her in that. And, you know, we had the most precious moments. I was able to take absence from my job, and I was able to sit with her every day, and we made a cookbook together of her favorite recipes and be present for her. And, you know, I'll always consider so dear to me her saying, Linda, you've been with me right to the very end. 
I had the privilege of being there. I think turning 40, I recognized that not only was I going to experience this loss, but I also was given this opportunity and the challenge to be present completely for people as they went through these life-changing moments, whether it was going to college, finding a career, finding a mate, or me losing my parents. I was scared I wasn't going to do it, do it well. So I think if I were to give a message to myself four years from now, I might say, look at the past, Linda. Mm. It's been okay. You were present. No matter how hard it was, how much pain you were in personally, it was okay. Those, those moments, no matter how difficult, were beautiful. And would you change them for anything? I wouldn't change them for anything. Right, right. I am just as proud for every accomplishment that our kids make now and now our grandchildren, as I was back then, I'm, you know, why do I think that at some particular age, I'm grateful. I just know that life is meant to be lived this way. I read too much scripture to know, to think any other way. God expects us to live fully. He wants our joy to be full. I think life is a good thing. When I die someday, I want to die because I'm really tired from living so enthusiastically. Love it. You know, yeah. I want to say, you know, I'm just kind of tired. Our life here on earth is supposed to be lived like that. To live a life to be in gratefulness is the way to go. I have a lot to be thankful for, you know. And again, I know that a lot of people don't, you know, and life is hard. But I also know that, you know, we've we've all read these amazing stories of people who live in such desperate conditions and they know joy. That's right. And so I don't really think it's about circumstances. I think it's about an attitude in which we're grateful. Do you do anything specific to practice gratitude? You know, I do take a pause every morning. I have devotions every morning. Okay. It's really important to me. And I journal. I journal every morning and I journal every night. I think that leads to gratefulness because, one, in the morning, my journaling tends to be more about um, reflection, acknowledging things I'm disappointed with myself from the day before, Mm -hmm. things that I want to approach differently. My end-of-the-day journaling is more about my kids, who I've heard from, what they're doing, what's important to me. Right. I think, you know, I I laugh sometimes because when my kids look at my journals someday, you know, I'll be telling their life story as well as my own. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like a biography. Yeah. I had a mentor who, he asked me while he was mentoring me to, first thing I do when I wake up every morning, write down 10 things you're thankful for. Mm -hmm. And those, those first few weeks doing that were pretty hard. Like 10 things is a lot, but then I feel like it was hard. I mean, it's, it's an act. it's a practice. Like you have to actually develop this. You have to train yourself to be grateful. See, that's what I mean. It is something right. That people have to work on, right? Yeah, It's it's a skill developed, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like six months into that, I was, I was amazed by everything. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 Everything. I was like, this is so awesome. This is, I'm so thankful. It just opens your eyes. Yeah. I remember years ago, too, to kind of like go along with that. Yeah. We were doing a study in Sunday school. And one of the first challenges of this particular study was write down in one minute. You have one minute to write down everything that you'd like to do in the future. I was totally daunted. So, you know, um, it was like crazy. Just like everything? Yeah. Like, like as fast like, as you could. Like a bucket list? Yes. Like okay. everything you want to do. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. You know, so. My first four things were so generic. I don't even remember what they were because they don't matter. Right. It took getting down to like number five and six. Suddenly, out of the blue, get recertified for teaching. Now, at that point, my kids were still at home. Unbeknownst to me, 
this was that hidden desire I had no idea about. Right. And it was not until that minute was over and I looked at my list, I thought, oh my gosh, that is so what I want to do. That same year, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I knew I had to go approach that whole taking care of him towards the, his last two years of life differently than with my mom that had just been mm-hmm. two years before. My brother said to me, Linda, you need to get recertified in teaching. Within six months of that moment, I had applied to school for my master's. Within three months of that, I had gotten recertified for teaching. Within six months, I was teaching first grade. My whole point in saying that is that sometimes it's these little simple exercises, like you said, 10 times, Mm -hmm. list 10 things you're thankful for. That's right. Or for me, it was that. And it's life-changing because we often don't pause enough in our lives to think about these things that just change our whole attitude or potentially our whole future. Mm -hmm. I think of what my life would have been like, what our family life would have been like if I hadn't gone into teaching and how God provided for our needs through that and has given me so much joy, kept things in balance in ministry because I do tend to like take it all on. But because I was teaching full time in a public school, I literally wasn't able to do that. So right. it kept ministry in perspective and gave me um, a different avenue to develop not only my own gifts, but to work with others outside of the church. It was a very healthy thing. And that only happened because I had that opportunity to go a little bit deeper, just like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I assume a lot of people are listening to this and don't know how to start doing this. Mm. Developing a taste for the sacred, being able to recognize these holy moments, if you want to use that Mm. word. Do you have any recommendations? I mean, you mentioned gratitude. Yeah, be thankful. Um, I think what you said, you know, start that practice every morning. I also think journaling, just because it lends you to be more reflective and more teachable. What do you take into journaling with you? Do you just sit down and blank page and you're like, I I'm do. just going to write and see what comes out? I do. Well, okay. in the morning, I do read scripture. Okay. Right now, I've just finished a personal study that I was doing comparing. I read this um, quote by Lynn Turkhurst. I'm not going to say it exactly, but um, there's a major difference between choosing to love somebody and choosing to please them. Okay. I took that quote because it was so telling to who I am as a person, but wanting to please everybody and the danger in that. So I just finished a Bible study, my personal Bible study on looking at verses on loving and pleasing and what does that look like. And so I take that study that I do every morning before I go to work and I then turn that into a reflective prayer. I do write out all my prayers. I think that's a really Mm. good way for me to make them very personal and reflective and it's another opportunity for me to reflect i i often look back at my prayers and think wow you know where was i then who was i then what did i want god to do in my heart so i would say taking time in the morning to pause to reflect to meditate whatever that looks like in your life but for me that's scripture i also think you know we have to be reminded of noticing the little things like the flowers and the the hearing this bird sing in the background of, of us right now or taking advantage of moments with people and recognizing, you know, I remember someone saying to me once, I'm sure everybody's heard this, you know, everybody needs 10 hugs a day to be a healthy person or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like thinking, <laughs> yeah, that you could be one, yeah, thinking yeah. that you could be one of those people, one of those people to make that much of a difference. And all I have to do is give them a squeeze on the shoulder. <laughs> right. right? right. And it doesn't have to be like you said, initially in the, in this podcast, it doesn't have to be a giant thing. And I have the opportunity to really help someone to be healthier. It's recognizing those little things we can do to make life different. Feel a a sense of responsibility towards that. To not think that life owes me anything, but that I have everything to gain from giving back to this gift I have. 
It makes sense. You're bringing it right now. Yeah. I just, I just gotta say, you're like <laughs> crushing this. I just, I, I just had a moment where I realized that we were doing a podcast. I'm like sitting here on this porch, listening to you. I, like I said, I'm 26. I, my narrative right now, I can already feel myself going into a narrative of, of life struggle. I, mm. I know that my life didn't doesn't exactly look the way it's supposed to look at that I wanted it to look after college and grad school. It doesn't exactly look the way that I had dreamed when I was 10 and 12 and 16 and. When I, now that I'm here, I wake up some mornings, I'm like, I'm 26. Like, what mm-hmm. am I doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Already I'm giving myself the ingredient to a non-enthusiastic day, mm-hmm. right? An unenthusiastic mm-hmm. day. I feel like there have been seasons in my life where I've trained myself to wake up and say, I am so excited to yes. do today. And that's like a good feeling. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 And it changes everything for everybody else you have a contact with that day. Right? Yeah. You come in contact with because your approach is so different. But it took training. This is like grabbing control of my mind and waking up and the first my my first thought needs to be I'm so excited to do today Steve Kersey my husband I I do call him Steve Kersey Steve Kersey (laughs) has said many times from the pulpit he has said as he's taking his feet off of the bed in the morning and putting them into his slippers he says Lord this is your day how am I going to please you today you know this is this Mm -hmm. is your day I am committed to you today I'm not quite that disciplined. I don't do that. I'm pretty groggy in the morning when I get up. Yeah, yeah. But um, I recently I, got off caffeine recently. Ah, wow. It's changing my whole morning. I bet it yeah, is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Four weeks without coffee right now. Wow. I know. I know. Well done. <laughs> I don't Thank know. You. I can't. I don't it's know. crazy. I don't know how I'm doing it. People, you know, years ago I did a skit for because I, you know, I love doing those things. I love doing skits. I love, I am a professional storyteller. I love doing that. I love seeing the response from students and from kids and adults. I love it. But I remember I was in this one skit once and <laughs> someone said, oh, my gosh, don't give her any more coffee. Because <laughs> I yeah, really yeah. don't know how to do anything less, I guess. You I know? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, for me, um, even getting sick with cancer a few years ago, that was that was somehow I think that was a little scary for a lot of us wondering, you know, was life going to look different after that? But it didn't. You know, I like I said, it didn't. And I'm grateful because. My mom had to go through treatment. My dad had to go through treatment. I just had to go through surgery. So, again, I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. Can you name some things you're grateful for right now? Oh, my gosh. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do the, let's do the ac- exercise that we've been talking All about. All right. I am so grateful. We'll I have been married to a man for 40 years who has never stopped growing, never stopped being teachable, never stopped wanting and being willing to change never stopped being vulnerable before his congregation still calls me his hot sexy woman mm-hmm. cuddling in the morning i know i yeah like, like that would pretty much fill somebody's bucket right there right but then on top of that i have three children who respect me they love spending time with me talk to me share with me their stories i'm very blessed i have three kids who love to share their story again that would in itself fill somebody's bucket I have a career that I love. The first day of school, every year, my heart beats fast. Walking down the sidewalk, this is no lie, because I'm so excited about the first day of school. I oh my gosh. I cannot wait. That that's kind of creepy. Is this pre or post coffee? Oh no, that, well that's, that's post. My <laughs> yeah, post yeah, well, yeah. Actually it's post tea. I don't post have tea. coffee until I get to work. Okay. I just love, I get so excited. And that's every year I'm reminded I am so grateful that I love my job so much that it gives me so much joy. I am grateful for my, this year, 21 fifth graders 
who want to share with me their story, who are vulnerable when they write and write the most beautiful pieces just so courageously, are willing to share them with the class. Writing poetry in fifth grade is kind of incredible. And if you could hear their poetry, it is it is unbelievable. I wish I had some pieces here to share with yeah, you because it's yeah. like, it blows your mind. It is, my gosh, you guys are so remarkable. Do you really want me to keep going? Because I could go on and on. I have so many reasons to be grateful. I mean, like you said, this gorgeous day, that magnolia tree. I mean, like, is that, that magnolia? So we're outside right now. I don't I know, know if we've ever said that, but. Uh, it's like so beautiful. It's really nice outside. And really knowing that I have five grandchildren 100 feet away from me waiting to hug me. That's right. You know, that's pretty awesome as yeah, well. Yeah. And to sing yeah. happy birthday to two of them tonight, that's pretty terrific. You know, and then I have a very loving church family. I have the Lord in my life that gives me purpose and joy in itself and has reminded me, God has reminded me through his word and through situations many times that it is not about circumstances or a particular time in my life that I need to grab hold to because once it's over, it's over. Circumstances don't change the spirit in which we have to live Hmm. or should choose to live. And that is passionately, enthusiastically, with joy, heartily. Life is good. Right. You know, there's that T-shirt, that motto that people, life is good, golf is good, whatever. I don't know. Right. But life really is good. It's more than just, it's good. Life is intended to be good. And that doesn't mean I agree with everything. And I like the way our world is. It doesn't mean I don't worry about the future that my grandchildren are growing up in. But I can still say life is good Mm. because when we choose to live in the moment with the realization the future will come at some point and have we lived intentionally enough that the future is still full of promise, then I'm good. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Linda Kersey, thanks so much. (laughs) This was great. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of My Obsession. If you enjoyed this conversation, it'd be a huge help if you rate and review the show on iTunes or Google Play. That really does go a long way. Thanks to all who have already written reviews. Huge help for me. Finally, I want to talk to you about your obsession. If you or somebody you know wants to come on the show, email me at myobsessionpodcast at gmail.com. My Obsession is produced by me, and much thanks to all the guests who gave me a few hours to record with them. Super thanks to Tony Wallace and the High Rock North Shore Church who graciously helped me to upgrade my recording setup for season two. All guests in all interviews, opinions are their own. The music is written and provided by the artist State Shirt. I am Marcus Privet.